This podcast deals with mature themes that are intended for an adult audience. The information in this show could be triggering and cause distress for some viewers. If you feel in distress, please seek out help. Please take care in listening. This is The Relationship Review with Dulcie Martin. Welcome to The Relationship Review. I'm your host, Dulcie Martin, and I'm so excited to welcome you here to my brave space. Today, we're going to have a look at our first case study. Remember, this couple is fictionalized, but the issues are very real. As you listen to my story, consider how you might approach this situation. Carla, age 50, and Ryan, age 58, have been married for almost 30 years. They recently came into money from a family inheritance and decided to retire early. They have three children, and their youngest, Joseph, who's 18, has just left home to begin college. Carla and Ryan find themselves truly alone with each other for the first time in 25 years. They've come to marriage counseling due to increasing tension and arguments between them. They report that these arguments occur over the smallest things, like whose turn it is to do the dishes. Ryan expresses concern for Carla because she rarely leaves the house and doesn't appear to have any friends. Ryan, on the other hand, has a rich social life outside the home. He goes out with the boys every weekend, and he spends lots of time during the week gaming, which is his favorite hobby. Carla feels like she never sees Ryan and that he doesn't seem to want to be at home with her. Ryan admits that he doesn't like to be at home and finds it depressing, and sometimes feels like Carla can be a buzzkill. Both have voiced that their relationship is meaningful, but they want to work together to feel like they did when they were first in love. So what's going on here? Is this a couple who's lost one another and drifted apart with age? Is Carla really just a social recluse who's a buzzkill? And is Ryan just trying to escape his wife and his responsibilities as a husband? On the surface, these things would appear to be a version of the truth. But let's look deeper. The first framework I'd turn to is one of the gurus of relationship therapy, John Gottman. This guy is insanely cool, and he has a theory that he can predict with over 90% accuracy if a couple will be successful or not. I know, <laughs> so neat. He refers to his research in the context of marriage. This is a criticism I have of Gottman, because space needs to be made for relationships that aren't tied to marriage. But despite my criticisms, he's come up with a theory that really resonates with me on a personal and a professional level. He and his team have outlined two key components of a healthy and happy relationship. The first is what he calls an overall level of positive affect. What this means in everyday terms is that you have positive feelings toward your spouse. See, there's always qualities about your spouse that you don't like, and there's going to be qualities about you that your spouse won't like. But the key is that there's an overall feeling of goodness when you think about your partner. The second key component of a healthy relationship is having the ability to cope during negative interactions with your partner. Conflict with your partner is a given and can help growth in your relationship. I struggle myself with this sentence because during conflict with my partner, I really don't want to believe that it has purpose and that it's useful but it really does, and it's something that we all have to come to terms with, me included. 
But to make sure we're able to handle conflict with grace, we need to draw on our own resources. Gottman talks about this in terms of a balance sheet, where every positive interaction with your partner, every positive affirmation and thought about them, creates a bank of positivity that they can draw on to get through conflict and come out better for it on the other side. If that positivity bank is empty, then during times of conflict, the relationship is unable to bounce back or has difficulty bouncing back. Take Carla and Ryan, for example. After their arguments about the amount of time he spends outside the home, they often don't speak until the next day. And the next time an argument comes up, old points of conflict are brought up and the cycle repeats itself. In this situation, it seems that Carla and Ryan may not have a lot of positive affect for one another banked, so when they run into conflict in their relationship, they don't have positivity to draw on to give them strength to resolve it. We notice that they have a high level of irritability during discussions and seem to be emotionally reactive at some problems, which maybe these problems would have been easier to overcome in the past. Again, this can tell us that they haven't had enough positive interactions together to fill that bank. So when they encounter these problems, they're drawing from an empty bank account. So how do we make sure our positive bank for our partner is filled and our positive affect for our partner grows? Gottman calls this marital friendship. I don't like the implication of it being associated only with married couples, so I'd be more inclined to call it intimate friendship. Building intimate friendship with your partner may not be as difficult as you think if effort is made, but maintaining that friendship is where people struggle. Emotional connection with a partner calms the nervous system and allows the brain to create a feeling of safety with that person. Continually nourishing a strong friendship with your partner increases intimacy and bond with them. From the attachment theory camp, Susan Johnson suggests that we need to consider how our partner related to their own caregivers when building friendship. If your partner had a childhood where there was unresponsive, inconsistent, or neglectful care, it's possible that they could react in a few predictable ways during conflict. First, they could have a high sensitivity to any negative messages coming from you or your facial expressions. See, adults who are raised in an unstable household often misinterpret neutral facial expressions to be negative. Do you have a partner that asks you, are you okay a lot? Or believes that you're upset when you aren't? Chances are they have a childhood history that's staying with them. This is going to make it especially difficult for them to draw upon their positivity bank during times of conflict. So I would recommend that you keep it well stocked with love. Cheesy, I know but well stocked with love. Your partner may also withdraw from you during times of conflict. So do you have a partner that says, it's okay, when it's clearly not, or you're right, just leave me alone? Do you notice that your partner lowers their eyes or tries to make themselves look small when you argue? This is a natural flight response that was developed in childhood as a protection me mechanism. If I make myself look very small, if I say things that are non-threatening, the scary yelling person will go away and my nervous system will calm down. Make sense? Yeah, totally. Finally, from adults who experience trauma in their childhood, we see an oscillation between extreme need of their partners to running away. They demand connection and then distance themselves. This is another childhood protection mechanism. The child longs for their parent, this is natural, 
the parent gives it for a short period of time, but then the trauma happens and the child becomes fearful. Inconsistent and traumatic parenting gives the child the message of, my caregiver will always be here for me until they aren't, then they are, then they aren't. You catch my drift here. And this develops into an internal dialogue in the adult that says, people who love me won't always be here for me. When relationships are in their infancy stages, intimate friendship is still being built through a series of verbal, nonverbal, and emotional exchanges. Couples can have trouble building these early connections with their partners if they've got a lot going on in their lives. Children, demanding work schedules, this is really normal. But you need to make intentional time to connect. If that time isn't made or you have trouble connecting with one another, you don't develop that secure attachment and sometimes couples begin living their lives in parallel. A common theme that we see in relationship counseling with partners with children is that one partner will throw themselves entirely into parenting while the other partner lives their life in parallel and engages in their own activities, their own friends and their own goals without making that time for their romantic partner. This makes for a child with a very attentive parent, which is a very good thing, but it leaves the intimate friendship lacking. When couples that have taken this path age and the children leave the home, it leaves the partner which has attended strongly to the role of parenting, struggling to function independently and feeling like they have to grieve alone. The other partner grieves the missing child as strongly as the former parent, but uses their hobbies, work, friends as a means of coping, and could further miss an opportunity to connect with their partner over the shared grief of their child leaving home. So with this knowledge in mind, we can consider that Carla could have thrown herself into parenting while neglecting her needs to avoid the strong feelings of disconnect from Ryan. Carla found herself without her children, her everything, for the first time, and it crushed her. Ryan, on the other hand, is absolutely missing his children. We have indications in his stating that it was depressing at home. Carla may have thought that he was referring to her being depressing when he could have been projecting his own feelings of depression because he was seeing the home as a reminder of his child. It's very common for empty nesters to go through a grief and mourning at the loss of the life they knew and the change to a new life. The emotions of grief are very real here. Compound that with retirement, which accesses the same emotional range, and you have two major life changes that you're trying to get accustomed to at once. Friendship in a relationship is not just a shake of the hands, make a commitment, and we're besties sort of thing. It's not reasonable to expect us to maintain the same level of intimacy and friendship with our partners when all we do is exist in a room together. Friendships take work. Intimate friendships take even more work because we have expectations that they come naturally. As we meld into the routines of our daily lives, it's very easy for us to begin to live our lives in parallel with our intimate partner. Now, Having our own things is very important in a relationship. We need to maintain some aspect of individuality. But when we stop coming together and connecting as a relationship, then we start seeing problems develop. So I hope that I can safely say that we all need to work on strengthening friendship with our intimate partner. We also know that it's an ongoing thing throughout the life of the partnership. Now that we've hopefully agreed on these things, Let's move on to how we can practically put this into action. 
Like Carla and Ryan, a lot of people come to relationship counseling with the goal of having the same feelings they did when they were first dating. Unfortunately, this isn't a realistic goal. See, you're never going to be able to have those exact feelings because you're both different people than you once were. But hey, do you remember when you were first dating? The butterflies in your stomach, that feeling of getting lost in your loved one's eyes, the desire to touch each other all the time. Oh, it's wonderful. Not trying to be a buzzkill here, but those feelings are actually a result of an intense level of hormone called oxytocin, the love hormone. Sexy, I know, but oxytocin. It's the primary hormone involved in attachment and bonding. This is the same process that we use to create attachments as babies with our caregivers. And what happens is that this morphs into the same attachment that we have with our intimate partners. Creepy, eatable complex, you know, there, there's a lot of directions I could go with this, but let's go with this because it makes sense. Once we have created that attachment with our partners, we really have to work to get those oxytocin rushes because our brain is already attached to them. You following me? You can't get those exact same feelings, but what you can get is a deep and profound attachment to your partner that's based in years of shared knowledge, shared connection, and shared experiences. One of the most profound changes that you can make today is attending to your partner. So when your partner is sharing something with you, even if it's a super boring work story, pay attention, show them you're paying attention. Imagine you're sharing with your partner a story of an exciting project that you're working on. Inside, you're feeling excited, energetic, passionate, and you cannot wait to share with someone who's supposed to be your biggest cheerleader. Then all your partner says is, that's nice. Or maybe they don't say anything at all. They've got their back turned to you or they're absorbed in their phone or their laptop. How would that make you feel? Absolutely deflated. You've approached your partner with everything you have and you're excited to share with them and suddenly you feel unimportant, that your story is silly, your excitement is trivial. Now to be fair, your partner likely doesn't even know what kind of an effect their behavior is having on you but the effect is very real. So next time your partner starts to share something with you, put down what you're doing, physically turn your body toward them, nod your head as they speak and show your interest. Each time you do this with your partner throughout the day, you're adding to your positive affection bank. It's going to make a massive difference. Want to practice doing this with your partner today? Okay. Pick a time to sit down with each other. No phones, no major distractions, other than children and furry children, because, you know, they're part of our lives. Face one another and ask each other to talk about one important or recent upcoming event in your partner's life. Ask as many questions as you can, like you're an investigator. I promise you're going to learn so much. And I'm going to have a list of more questions that you can ask your partner on our Facebook page. How often do you tell your loved one that you appreciate them? Maybe you see them doing the dishes or getting your coffee when you're tired and you think, wow, that's really great of them. They're amazing. What an amazing human. This is my human. You think it, but you never tell them. Your partner can't read your mind. They don't know how meaningful their actions are to them. 
tell them. It's going to go well, I promise. See, some people might think, well, they're my partner. They're supposed to do things for me like that. Okay, fine. But even if they're supposed to do things like that, it's really helpful to approach this with an air of gratitude. Just like your partner should be grateful for you. You can share that gratitude with your partner and share it with one another. The simple act of telling your partner that you appreciate them and that you love them can foster such amazing connection and will hopefully encourage those around you to do the same. So in addition to all the above suggestions I've given you, Carla can do some self-exploration of her own interests with the support of Ryan. Sometimes it's helpful if one spouse includes the other in one of their interests. But in this case, Carla has not expressed an interest in gaming, and Ryan prefers that the night with the boys remains as such, which is totally cool. It's important that Carla and Ryan sit down to discuss a shared activity that they can have for just the two of them. Examples could be a weekly board game night or a coffee date. But most important here will be for them to be intentional each day in connecting with one another, even if it's briefly with a kiss, a touch, a random I love you, or an appreciation. Now, I need to note here that the concept of friendship before or during relationships is a very Western concept. What about arranged marriages? Arranged marriages does not mean forced marriages. Yes, in some cases they're forced, but we can't generalize this to all arranged marriages. See, there's some key elements found in arranged marriages. Commitment to one another and allowing for intimacy and fun to emerge out of that commitment. They come to the table with a strong commitment to work with one another to make the marriage a success. Looking at arranged marriages from this lens, the success of them makes sense. Remember we talked earlier about being intentional in building intimacy with your partner? We see here that intentionality at work very early on in the partnership. Not everyone in the world marries for romantic love. Not everyone in the world marries. Interesting, isn't it? See, relationships may start out with steamy, intense love and fizzle with time, but some relationships start out slow, with intense feelings developing with time. Relationships are always a gamble. Will they work? Won't they work? That holds true whether your relationship is made in love or whether it's made in commitment. There's so much more information out there that can give you a deeper delve into the world of arranged marriages. Feel free to seek out more information if you're interested. I am by no means an expert in arranged marriages, nor do I have that lived experience. If you or a loved one have been in an arranged marriage, I'd love to hear your perspective on our Facebook group. I hope that today's conversation has inspired you to be more intentional in your friendship with your intimate partner. My perspective is just one of many, each one valid, but I humbly thank you for listening to mine today. To fully attend to Carla and Ryan's needs, I would want them to have many sessions, to explore many things. The thoughts I have today are not by any means a whole plan. I do hope you believe me when I say that every relationship, no matter how old, how strong, how unbreakable, needs to strengthen the friendship. I hope that you have so much fun learning about your partner. I hope you have fun playing together, and I hope you have fun connecting. 
Thanks for listening. I'm always interested to hear about how these activities go for you or for your loved one. Feel free to share your experiences on our Facebook group or just with me. Take very good care today and thank you. Thank you.